Denver, Colorado, Ric Flair will be known as the stupid little man, brother, because stupid little man, if I would do that to my best friend, if I would do that to the macho man, what do you think I'm gonna do to you, brother? Denver, Hogan, you and I are going to style and profile horsemen style. And you are looking live at the Mile High City in Denver as we await the collision between the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Hulk Hogan as TBS and World Championship Wrestling present live the Clash of the Champions from a sold-out Denver Coliseum in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to World Championship Wrestling at its best. And along with Bobby the Brain Heenan, I am Tony Schiavone. Of course, me, Gene Oakley with us as well. And as you heard, both men are ready. Hulk Hogan and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. We never thought we would say this, that Ric Flair comes in, the fan support behind him, the horsemen behind him, but Hulk Hogan has the entire New World Order behind him, Brain. Well, what's very interesting to me is wherever you see Ric Flair, you're going to see horsemen. Right. And wherever you see Hulk Hogan, you're going to see the NWO. Now, we know there's two of them. We've heard there's three or four. Who knows how many? Hogan's limo's out back. There's security around it. The windows are tinted. You can't see in. We don't know if there's three, four, ten people or maybe no one's in there. But history's gonna be made, something big is gonna happen here tonight. Something big could happen tonight. As a matter of fact, this past Monday, we were live from Casper, Wyoming on TNT and WCW Monday Night. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the Southern Front of wrestling's monday night wars i'm your host tim root and with me as always is my broadcast colleague dave amantorp dave how you doing this week hello there <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i find it funny to force a chuckle when i say with me as always but it just <laughs> it's something i did once and i thought it was funny and i just do it and it only amuses me well, it's like the whole beginning is like uh, a catchphrase yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's your deal. Yeah, the show <laughs> opens with 45 seconds of catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and every week, you're, you're happily surprised. <laughs> there he is again. I think part of it is by the time I get there, I've said so much, and you're I can tell that you're like rolling your eyes at how long my intro is, <laughs> that it just like I just laugh at my own self-indulgence. <laughs> uh, but before we get into any more self-indulgence, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is Thursday, August 15th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Denver Coliseum in Denver, Colorado, in front of 8,304 fans, 5,931 of whom paid admission for a total gate of $70,111. For a Thursday? Wow. This is the 33rd edition of the Clash of the Champions, the origin and concept of which we covered way back in episode 21 and a half of our show when we reviewed Clash of the Champions 32. This is a concept not long for this world, as WCW will run only two more Clash shows in 1997 before cutting them for good. 
As we've talked about a bit in both of our episodes on Hog Wild and the August 12th Nitro, WCW has done a fairly poor job of promoting this event. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly due to the fact that it's the third live televised event WCW has put on in a six-day period, which is both a completely legitimate excuse, but also kind of funny when you look at the fact that WWE now will do a live... like. So let's take... We, we were talking about this a little bit mm-hmm. in, in a break. Uh, that WWE on WrestleMania weekend will do a takeover event on Saturday, a Hall of Fame show that's like two to three hours long, a mm-hmm. pay-per-view on Sunday, which has like a two-hour pre-show. It's a five-hour pay-per-view, three hours of Raw the next Monday, two hours on SmackDown, uh, and then 205 Live following SmackDown. So that's like 18 hours of live programming in a similar period. Yeah, um, but, but WWE does have like... A much bigger production team. I mean, they've got a SmackDown team and a Raw team. The NXT team might be a completely different team. It might be a mix. I'm not really sure. Um, but it is just kind of funny to think of how wiped WCW was at doing nine hours in a six-day period and thinking of how much in live television WWE puts out every WrestleMania weekend these days. Right, right. The matches we do know about from Nitro are Ric Flair trying to rest the World Heavyweight Championship from the Iron Grip of Hulk Hogan, and Chris Benoit against the Giant. On Nitro, Bischoff also gave us a list of wrestlers who would appear on the show, but didn't get too specific on matchups, so it's just going to kind of be a surprise for us as these guys come out to see who's facing who. I hope it's a surprise for them, too. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we don't have to watch the pre-show dark match in which Mike Enos and Dick Slater, uh, rough and ready, mm-hmm. defeated Jim Powers and Mark Starr. <laughs> also, the Nasty Boys beat Mr. JL, who's still alive, I guess, as well as the also missing hard work Bobby Walker. Oh, a name yeah. that I haven't thought of in, I was going to say years, but it only feels like that, but yeah. certainly months. Mm-hmm. The show tonight starts with a cold open as we are instantly treated with clips from Hogwild of Hogan beating up Ed Leslie, who was being held by Kevin Nash. We whoosh from that to Nitro this past Monday and see Hogan land a chair shot in the back of the Macho Man during Macho's match against Ric Flair. The next clip is from Hogan's promo on Nitro, and shockingly, it's not his ruminations on the Waco standoff. <laughs> Instead, they went with his bestowing upon Flair the new nickname, The Stupid Little Man. <laughs> Lastly, we see Flair's show-closing Nitro promo where he promised that in Denver, he and Hogan were going to style and profile, horseman-style, woo. <laughs> I feel like it's just uh, uh, it's just a favor to Ed Leslie that they keep showing replays yeah. of Hogan betraying him yeah. because who really cares? Maybe he gets residuals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, nobody cares that Ric Flair beat him up a few weeks ago on Nitro. No one cares that Hogan beat him up on Saturday. Then Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the clash as we get an aerial shot of downtown Denver. Inside the arena, Pyro blasts and the capacity crowd cheers. Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan talk about the main event and the prospect of chaos tonight as Flair and Hogan both come out with their own factions to back them up. Bobby speculates on the addition of more NWO members and says that history is going to be made and something big is going to happen tonight. Ooh. Spoiler alert, he's lying to you. <laughs> Tony recaps the horseman coming to the aid of Lex Luger and Sting at the end of Nitro and we get yet another clip this time of Nick Patrick pulling Scott Hall out of the way of a stinger splash. Bobby says that the horsemen didn't just come to the aid of Luger and Sting, but to that of World Championship Wrestling. And it's the combination of WCW and NWO forces that's going to lead to an explosion. 
The crowd, meanwhile, chants weasel at him. Dean Malenko's music hits, and Dave Penzer announces that we're about to see a special rematch for the Cruiserweight Championship. So to quickly summarize the feud here, Rey Mysterio won the title from Dean Malenko. Malenko demanded a rematch, and Rey said he would be happy to give him one. Then, WCW started a storyline where Dean could only get a rematch if he took out Chris Benoit as a favor to Jimmy Hart in the Dungeon of Doom, because Hart, a manager in no way affiliated with Mysterio, and with no kayfabe or shoot booking power, <laughs> said he could make it happen. <laughs> then WCW, on the day of the Benoit and Malenko match on a low-rated Saturday morning show, aired a rematch between Malenko and Mysterio that had been taped weeks earlier. Then, rather than just ignore the contradiction to the established story, which most people didn't even notice, Tony Schiavone talked about that match during the Hogwild pay-per-view and said it happened because Jimmy Hart held up his end of the deal. Then, also at Hogwild, Malenko was unsuccessful in his tanking out of Benoit. Then Shivani, who only a half hour earlier had said that Hart held up his end of the bargain, implied that Malenko's loss meant he wouldn't get the title shot he wanted, even though that title shot had already happened and Tony himself had just told us about it airing earlier that morning. <laughs> then they had a rematch anyway, three days later. <laughs> <laughs> this is driving me insane. <laughs> this is truly a special rematch. Apparently, the reason for this is that Mysterio's planned opponent for the Clash was actually Psychosis, but he's nursing a knee injury right now. Oh. So th this was just kind of the last-minute uh, replacement. I don't know how last-minute it was. Ray Mysterio can uh, commiserate with a knee injury. <laughs> now, I get that they didn't want Ray versus Ultimo Dragon so soon after Saturday's match and the rematch on Nitro, mm -hmm. but what I don't get is why not put Ray against Disco Inferno? He's a heel who's sitting on the shelf, who had a great cruiserweight title match. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no need to just send out Malenko again when your entire storyline with Malenko has been that he's not supposed to have a rematch and he already had one anyway. Sure. My Yeah, my only guess is for the fact that it was uh, throwing together a, a new match and since Rey Mysterio is so young and inexperienced, they're like, well, probably should put him in with someone he's been in the ring with. I mean, I I agree that he's young, but, I mean, he's had a lot of matches in Mexico. So I would think he'd be able to go out there with Disco and have a decent match, but maybe you're right. And and maybe they were just counting on it to be a great show opener and thought, you know, we know what Malenko and Ray can do, so let's give him another chance. Right. I mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't mean to complain at the embarrassment of riches. Like, oh, God, another Dean Malenko-Ray Mysterio match. Right. Like, I get that those are good things. Mm -hmm. It's just... It's just such an insult to your audience when the storyline contradicts every uh, implication that this match should even take place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it's only frustrating the, like the the one percent of people that actually are following the storyline, which doesn't include WCW. Right. Yes, because they're not following it. They they don't, <laughs> they don't they don't remember all this stuff. Anyway, out comes Dean Malenko as Tony tells us that we've got nine matches tonight, including a triangle match for Harlem Heat's tag team titles. That seems like a lot of matches for a two-hour live television show with commercial breaks, but I guess we'll see what happens here. <laughs> right. Tony then introduces Mike Tanay as Rey Mysterio walks to the ring in yellow, white, and blue gear that we have not seen before. He's just, he's like a real gear guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he always puts a lot of thought into it, so I always like to point out when he's wearing something we haven't seen. Yep. Now, here to call all this exciting cruiserweight action is our own Mike Tanay, Dave Amantorp. Also, I wanted to note that uh, for tonight's show, we have the what I consider old-school WCW ring mat. 
which is one you typically see on Saturday night and you don't ever see on Nitro, so I thought it was a nice change. Sure. Malenko starts off the match t- attacking right away, getting a snap suplex in even before the bell rings. Malenko tosses Ray out of the ring, but Mysterio slips back in just as Dean attempts to follow him outside. Malenko then gets back onto the apron, but gets knocked onto the floor with a springboard dropkick. Ray then follows up with a baseball slide that he converts into a head-scissors takedown, which Mike Tanay calls a Frankensteiner hurricanrana, and Tony (laughs) calls a tremendous move. (laughs) So, not quite right for both. An angry D. Malenko takes his time returning to the ring, but Ray is back on the offense, eventually hitting a moonsault off the top off the ropes for a two count. Malenko rolls back out of the ring again to collect himself. Ray then looks to dive after him, but hits the brakes and spin, spins on the ropes instead. We're back in the ring again, and Malenko finally gains the advantage. He picks up Ray for a power bomb, but instead uses the momentum to drop Mysterio throat first on the top rope. It was that was awesome. That yeah. looked really cool. That was great, and Tony said, what a tremendous move. <laughs> Tony says that, and one fan in the au- uh, audience that you can really hear just continually yells that Malenko sucks and should go home. <laughs> he just, like, four or five times throughout this match, he's just, Malenko sucks, go home, boo! Right. I, it, it really caught my attention. Uh, Dean Malenko then hits a brain buster, only he jumps to add a little force to the move. Ray manages to survive that and kick out of two. And I wanted to kind of, I made a note right away that already we're seeing new moves from these two against each other, which is really great since they've had a few televised matches already. Right, yes. And they could potentially become prone to, quote-unquote, going through the motions. Back on their feet, Mysterio springs off the middle ropes onto Malenko's shoulders and then tries to slide down his back in an attempt for a sunset flip, only he lands too far away to grab Malenko's legs. To his credit, Malenko goes for the punch but only hitting the mat, at an attempt to kind of cover up for this. Right. Eventually, Ray rolls him up for a two-count to end the messy sequence. After a headlock to reset themselves, Dean begins to go to work on Ray's right knee as we go to a commercial break, which, during the commercial break, we get one more shot at getting some awesome hog-wild merchandise, (laughs) which is backed by popular demand, and Jimmy Hart is still super excited about They haven't even discounted the $90 price <laughs> for that jacket. <laughs> right. So I guess they were selling enough of them where they don't need to... It's not in the bargain bin just yet. <laughs> right. Ooh, I want, that, <laughs> I want that jacket of that show that happened a week ago. <laughs> After the commercial break, we come back to Dean still grounding the Cruiserweight Champion. Not to undersell the next few moments, but... Dean and Ray exchange reversals until Mysterio finally rolls him up for a two count. There was a lot of exchanges that were just hard to explain, basically. So. Yeah, I usually, just in my notes, I'll just write, like, good mat-based wrestling, <laughs> and that just covers, like, three minutes of good, like, because, yeah, what what else am I going to say? Right. Uh, Malenko eventually goes for a thumb in the eye, which is pretty much a palm to the side of his temple, but <laughs> it, I'm going to allow this. He brings Mysterio back to the back to the mat with a leg lock as the announcers talk about the tag team match from Monday Nitro, in particular Nip Patrick's actions. At this point, I mentioned it would be kind of dumb if Nick Patrick was just a regular referee for tonight, but, you know, dumber things have happened in <laughs> WCW. Just as I typed that, Tony Schiavone said Nick Patrick is indeed assigned to referee matches tonight, and which I wrote... 
Derpa derp derp derp. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ray makes his way to the ropes and Malenko breaks a hold. After a lateral press slam, Dean Malenko does the title gesture around his waist, which is kind of out of character for the man of a thousand holds. That's true. Dean Malenko applies some sort of headlock. As Bobby Heenan makes jokes about the thin Denver air and how that was the reason Ray went so high up in the lateral press slam. He also talked about the Rockies and was like, none of their players are good, but that's the reason why they're <laughs> that's right. Yeah. He just he just like throws it out as a fact. Yeah, like that's why they don't uh, that's why they get all those home runs. Not that they're any good. Right. Um I was talking with uh my brother John about this other day about Bobby Heenan, and he said like one of the things he likes about Bobby Heenan is he throws out these things that he th- treats them like facts. Right. Like, you know, everyone knows Sting's a coward. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> it's absolutely. One of those but that's the way he said that about the Rockies players. They're like, they're all bad. Like, we know this. <laughs> He's not wrong either. Like, other than Todd Helton, name one good Rocky from this era. Yeah, yeah, the mid-90s? mid, mid uh, 90s? Yeah. No. <laughs> Um, at this point, Dean Malenko has a waist lock, but Ray runs towards the ropes using their collective momentum to send Malenko tumbling out of the ring. That was also considered a tremendous maneuver. This finally sets Ray up to fly over the top rope and hit Malenko with his somersault senton. Ooh, yeah. He does it all the time, but just every time I'm like, ooh, God, mm-hmm. careful, kid. <laughs> yeah. This one, um, I don't know if I just haven't noticed this before, but Ray, when he did this, he has his hand around the back of Malenko's head. Oh, and, sure. And it's like, I don't know if it's just for his balance or to protect Malenko's head against a concrete floor. Right. Or just both. Uh, either way, I was like, oh, that's just, uh, that's a really professional thing to do is to make sure he doesn't get his bell rung. Malenko tries to whip Ray into the guardrail, but instead Mysterio springs off the guardrail into a moonsault, which looked really cool. But potentially, like, the the rail slid. Yeah. And he could have just fucked that up, bud. Yeah, he doesn't really catch very much of it. But I'm just so impressed by the effort and the balls to try it that Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, man, good on you. I'm just glad you're not dead because you're you're right. It slides across the ground. It's like he planned it out thinking it would just stay completely stationary with all of his body weight pushing against it, Mm -hmm. which... Of course it doesn't, and that's so the move doesn't quite work the way that he thinks it's going to be. Yeah. So and so he pretty much hits it, but yeah, that, that could easily have been disastrous. Uh, both men finally return to the ring as Ray hits a springboard dropkick for a two count. A springboard Hurricanrana also gets a two for the champion. After some more back-and-forth action, Dean Malenko hits Ray Mysterio with a massive Fireman's Carry gut buster unbelievable yeah unbelievable <laughs> right drucifer gift this it's it probably already has to be a gift yeah it's just somebody find this because i i've i know i've talked about dean malenko hitting a second rope gut buster mm-hmm. on mysterio before but this is the one this is the one right. that is the best find this one tweet mm-hmm. it to me everybody Everybody hearing my voice, find it and tweet it to me, and I'll retweet everyone. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Yeah. So he hits this fireman's carry gut buster, covers Ray, and gets a pinfall victory. Oh, but wait. Randy Anderson realizes Ray's foot was on the ropes. Oh. However, the timekeeper also rang for the bell. So now we got a little bit of confusion here. And as Malenko and Randy Anderson fight over the title, 
Ray leaps onto Malenko's shoulders and rolls him up for the pinfall victory. One that was so quick, Randy Anderson still had the title in his hand as he made the count. <laughs> yes. And uh, I wrote here, if I were Dean Malenko, I'd be pretty pissed at how that ended. No because shit. Randy Anderson cost him that match. <laughs> Ray takes his belt and celebrates as Bobby declares that Dean Malenko is robbed. Bobby walks us through the replays and Tony bids adieu to Mike Tanay. Uh, I got to say, for the first few minutes of that match, I started to wonder if we'd seen kind of everything that Ray and Dean might be able to offer us. And maybe we were already getting to the point of diminishing returns between them. But mm-hmm. when they started to do a lot of new stuff that we hadn't seen from them, the last two thirds of this match were great. Yeah. Uh, these guys have had five televised matches over about two and a half months. They've all managed to be different in their own ways. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess I know I'm, I'm nitpicking at the storyline that set it up, but I thought this was a really good opening match. Yes. No. And I, and I liked the beginning of the match too. Um, I liked the, the pacing and, and I liked that the Malenko really went all in as far as playing the heel. Yes. And because before I, I think he was more kind of like the stern, just like straightforward kind of guy, but here he was really, you know, getting frustrated yeah. and and uh, just being really aggressive and like the title belt thing where I was like, where did that come from? Right, right. Um, yeah, I felt like there was a lot more like story going on between these two and and for two that have had like a couple of really memorable matches, right. they managed to make another different memorable match. So uh, very early match of the night for me. We go to a commercial break, and when we get back, Tony asks Brain for his thoughts on Hogan's recent actions. Bobby doesn't really answer the question, and Jim Duggan enters. Tony calls him a great American. Why? <laughs> like, he chants USA a lot, but, like, why? in what way is he a great American? I don't really know what that means. But anyway, I, I guess I'm nitpicking again. <laughs> he gets pyro, and he hoes his way down the aisle. <laughs> what now? <laughs> Bobby says that in the crowd he sees an NWO banner, and he wonders if people are starting to get behind the NWO and what that could signal for WCW. Bobby, I've seen into the future. It's not anything good. (laughs) (laughs) Tony would rather talk about a sign that said TBS, the brain station, and he accuses Bobby of planting it in the crowd. The bell rings, and Tony tells us that VK and Duggan have been feuding for a while, something that Nitro-only watchers like us wouldn't have a clue about, as the last time Wall Street appeared on Nitro, it was in a losing effort to Randy Savage back in late June. Yeah, I remember that match, because <laughs> I did the play-by-play for that. <laughs> Apparently on the B-shows, Wall Street stole Duggan's 2x4 for a while, or some fucking shit. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not that... researching beyond that. Right. Duggan wields said weapon in VK Bales. Duggan ditches the lumber and starts a USA chant, and Wall Street comes back into the ring. They do some very basic wrist lock reversal stuff, because when you have three full minutes to work with, you definitely need to pad things out a bit. (laughs) VK escapes Duggan by going to the ropes. Then he looks in the camera and points to his brain to show how smart he is, (laughs) and declares, I'm too smart for you, Duggan. But Duggan grabs him from behind and shoves his head into the turnbuckle ten times. <laughs> Who's smart now? <laughs> oh. Right afterward, Duggan looks into the camera and puts on a goofy grin and thumbs up and lets out a, hu- a hearty ho. And for a moment, just a moment, I found him incredibly endearing. <laughs> then he looks at the crowd and sticks his tongue between his teeth and smiles again in this like, ain't I a stinker? And I liked him even more. <laughs> 
there was this brief moment where I was like, I get it. I get Hacksaw. He comes and he cheats and he's goofy and he makes silly faces and it's fun. The feeling will pass. <laughs> he starts another USA chant and there the feeling goes and gets a hip toss at a very soft clothesline. He goes into a three-point stance and Wall Street rolls to the outside. Duggan asks for another USA chant and Wall Street goes fishing under the ring for something. Whatever he was looking for wasn't there because he comes up empty-handed and tries to get back in the ring. When Duggan attempts to prevent him, Wall Street pulls him neck first onto the top rope, then lays in some kicks for good measure. Wall Street hits an elbow drop and goes for a pin, but Duggan is out before Randy Eller even gets to one. Wall Street slaps on a chin lock, but Duggan quickly fights his way to a standing position and elbows his way out of the hold. Hacksaw whips Wall Street into the corner and tries following him for the dreaded corner charge, but Wall Street gets an elbow up and into Duggan's mush. This is at least Hacksaw enough to let Wall Street get a one count before kicking out, and Wall Street again goes for the chin lock, but Hacksaw once again stands up quickly and this time drops down, turning it into a jawbreaker. Duggan hits punches and a scoop slam, then goes to his trunks for the dreaded tape. Randy Eller is right there and tries to stop Hacksaw from illegally taping his fist, which Duggan does by wildly swinging the tape and arcing circles around his forearm. This disastrously stupid method of taping his arm causes <laughs> Eller's outstretched arm to get tied up with Duggan's, but only because Duggan and Eller really try hard to make sure that it happens. Yep, they sure do. Wall Street uses the moment of distraction to grab a handful of Duggan's tights, thanks to the camera angle we're spared any look of Duggan's ass. Thank you. So uh, I'm mailing money to um, Craig Leathers, the director, for not subjecting <laughs> us to that. And Duggan and Eller are both pulled to the mat as Wall Street schoolboys Duggan for the one, two, three. This was dumb. <laughs> even it sure was. Even Shivani has to point out that Duggan cost himself the match, and Wall Street celebrates on the outside, giving his noggin another well-deserved pointing to. <laughs> That's where I keep my brain. Duggan, who lost because his attempt at cheating in clear view of the referee was poorly executed, <laughs> stands in the ring yelling, it stinks, at the camera. I guess in his mind, this was unfair to him. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> Tony Schiavone with me, of course, the Nasty Boys, Nobs and Sags and gentlemen. Welcome to the Mile High City. I don't know, Sags, it... Uh, does this uh, 5,300 feet high get to you? He's starting to wind a little bit? Yeah, a lot of things been getting to me. I'm getting to me is the same question over and over. What you asked us in Sturgis. Hey, where are you going? What are you doing? And what's going on? We're in the WCW. We're the Nasty Boys. And we're right here to fight. And that's all we're going to do is fight. Nasty as we always were. You know, I should point out for the record that it seems to me like you have been patronizing the New World Order and especially... Hollywood Hogan. Let me tell you something. Our loyalty stands with the Nasty Boys. It always did. But the politics around the WCW get a little bit screwed up. We we in the triangle match tonight going for the titles because that's what we want. We want the gold. So you know what? The Nasty Boys are going to have to do, Mean Gene. We're going to have to make a nasty, nasty statement. We don't care if it's Harlem Heat. We don't care if it's the Steiners. And we don't care if it's you, Lex, or Sting. The Nasty Boys are going to smash some stinking heads. You got it. You better get it because it's coming right at you. 
All right, gentlemen, I can understand your frustration. You'd love to be in that triangle match, especially with the WCW Tag Team titles on the line. That's coming up later here from the Mile High City of Denver, Colorado. Knob Sangs and Asty Boys, and stay tuned when that clock We want a title shot! Return we want a title shot! Please. Mean Gene is in the locker room, joined by the Nasty Boys, who we last saw insisting that they were not going to take any sides in the WCW-NWO conflict. Gene asks Sags if the altitude is getting to him, and Sags complains that what's getting to him is being asked the same question over and over recently. That question is, according to Sags, Hey, where are you going? What are you doing? And what's going on? <laughs> I'm so sick of being asked that question. <laughs> Sags says they're in the WCW, they're the Nasty Boys, and they're here to fight which I think he intended to serve as the answer to those three questions, but those don't really match up. <laughs> Gene accuses the Nasties of patronizing the NWO, especially Hulk Hogan lately, and I don't think Gene is using the word patronize correctly, but his message is clear enough. Knobs mm -hmm. yells that their only loyalty is to themselves and complains that the politics in WCW have gotten complicated. Oh boy, you ain't seen nothing yet, old Brian Knobs. <laughs> He bemoans their lack of inclusion in the triangle match for the tag team championships happening later tonight. And he says that they're going to need to make a nasty, nasty statement. Nobbs is doing a very old school screamy promo, but I actually thought that it was pretty good. I Nobbs is definitely the talker half of this duo. Yeah. He has a lot of conviction, and uh, I think that kind of makes up for the content of what you're saying a lot. But he is also very winded after that 30 seconds of shouting. <laughs> Gene tries to toss us to commercial, but Nobbs keeps shouting over him, we want a title shot, and Gene just gets annoyed with him as we head <laughs> off to ads. After commercial, we go back to Gene once more. Gene says that during the break, he was trying to conduct an interview with Mike Tanay when they were interrupted by the Outsiders. Gene says they managed to ask the Outsiders a few questions, and you can hear a full report of it if you call 1-900-909-9900 where calls cost $1.49 per minute, and kids, please get your parents' permission before calling. Wink, wink. <laughs> we fulfilled our obligation to mention that. Did you ever call one of these numbers when you were a kid at all? No. Me neither. I f I, that was something where I was like, I would get in so much trouble. Right. Did you ever call phone sex lines from a payphone and just hit different numbers hoping it was a credit card number? <laughs> no. Oh, me neither. <laughs> I heard about a different person <laughs> doing that. It wasn't me. Actually, no, it was totally me, and I did that. And one time it worked, and I got connected to a lady, and I panicked and hung up. I was like, I don't oh. know what to say to a lady <laughs> who wants to do sexy talks with me. <laughs> Back to Tony, who does a little shilling for the hotline himself, and then reintroduces Mike Tanay. Tanay confirms that the Outsiders are indeed in the building as Sonny Ono comes out with Ultimo Dragon. Fans give some half-assed thumbs down and very mild boos. <laughs> they don't care enough to boo. Dragon is going to be facing Conan, and Tanay says that this is their first match against each other, but they have teamed together many times in Mexico. Oh boy, you'll be able to tell soon enough. <laughs> After the bell rings, Dragon comes at Conan with some kicks. Conan avoids them and complains to official Nick Patrick. I guess he was under the impression that kicks would not be allowed during this wrestling match. <laughs> He tried to negotiate that <laughs> into the contract. Conan antagonizes the crowd a bit, ensuring that they have absolutely nobody to cheer for here as Dragon is also a heel and is accompanied by a hated heel manager. 
I was about to say, we've, we haven't had a whole lot of these weird heel-on-heel matches for a while. Yeah, we WCW loves them, but it has been a while since we got one. <laughs> right. A lockup leads to some mat work, ending when Dragon escapes a head scissors with a nice little kip-up and bow. Dragon wants a test of strength, but Conan thumbs him in the eye and punches him a bit. Sinead takes a moment to educate us on what an acai moonsault is. Conan ties Dragon up in some weird submission, gives it up after, oh, 12 seconds, and levels <laughs> Dragon with a shoulder tackle. Dragon ties charging into Conan again and is leveled once more, so he rolls out of the ring to try and call for a timeout and confer with Ono. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he tied up the Ultimo Dragon, that was the one where he had his hands, like, hooked into his, in between his legs. Yeah. And, and Bobby Heenan's like, he's ready to mail him out somewhere. <laughs> Back in the ring, Conan leapfrogs Dragon, then tries to get him with a back body drop. Dragon manages to land on his feet, however, and dropkick Conan from behind, sending Conan through the ropes. Conan is not taking any risks on going through those ropes, though. He gets dropkicked and takes a couple very careful steps forward and then holds the middle rope as he hops down to the floor. <laughs> it's the most like, okay, I'm getting dropkicked out to the floor, but like I ain't getting hurt for this bullshit. <laughs> right. It's very Bret Hart. Like, any time he was, like, uh, you know, on the top rope and got nailed to the floor, he'd, like, hold every rope on his way down mm -hmm. to the apron, and then he'd lay in the apron and then roll down onto the floor carefully. <laughs> I love Bret's careful bumps. Once you, like, see it, you just never unsee it in every match. Yeah. Ono, who has a somewhat accomplished background in karate and kickboxing, which is how he befriended Eric Bischoff decades before this, lays in some very nice high kicks to the chest of Conan. But, of course, he's a skinny manager, so the much bigger Mexican champion no-sells the attack and grabs Ono by the neck. His focus on Ono allows Ultimo Dragon to leap down to the floor with a double sledge to Conan's back, which looks like it'd be less painful than those kicks from Ono, but whatever, it's wrestling. Yep. Ono lays in a few more kicks to the now-prone Conan for good measure, and Shivani actually compliments Sonny on his, quote, good-looking kicks, <laughs> and he and Bobby put over Ono briefly. I guess maybe just trying to get in Bischoff's good graces by complimenting his buddy. <laughs> yeah. Back in the ring, Dragon lays out Conan with something kind of resembling a pump handle slam before hitting a moonsault to Conan's back. Dragon does a neat spinning pin combo that's kind of like a crucifix pin to a prone opponent for two. Apparently this is called the La Magistral, according to Mike Tanay. Mm. Wasn't something that I was familiar with. That's, hey, that's why you got Mike Tanay. Yeah, Iron Mike. Dragon executes a nice bridging German suplex where he flips backwards after the move in an attempt to sit on Conan for the pin. But Conan pulls the tights and reverses it for a pin of his own, hanging onto the tights for a three count. So the heel managed to overcome the interference of his heel opponent and cheat his own way to victory. What a feel-good story. <laughs> One they'll talk about for the ages. Dragon tries to get up as Conan celebrates, but Conan boots him fucking hard and sends him sprawling. <laughs> He'll have none of that. The announcers focus on Conan's new use of shortcuts, but Conan noticed that he got a babyface reaction to that kick, so now he's playing into this by hyping up the crowd, mm. and the whole concept of this is just a mess at this point. <laughs> uh, I thought the match was okay. I thought it was the best Conan match that we've seen. It sounds like you were not a fan, though. I, I just didn't feel like these two had very good chemistry, and it was another... It was just... You know, when you have heels 
against heels, like someone has to play as a good guy. Right. And neither of them were willing to do it. Yeah, I thought the story was definitely muddled, uh, but the action was fine. Um, there, mm. No noticeable botches, at least, uh, and sure. everything reasonably flowed. By Conan standards, I thought this was was fine. Tony plugs CompuServe, and backstage it's Ice Train's turn to pretend to know how to use a computer. Train isn't on the show, but I'm glad he got paid to come tap away at a keyboard for a few seconds. Oh no, he's attacked in mid-chat by Scott Norton, who lays him out with a very lame-looking clothesline. Mm -hmm. Norton kicks the prone Train and then walks off. Train is pissed and yells, Norton! Ah! <laughs> and walks off as we go to commercial. <laughs> This was really lame. <laughs> yes, it was. And after their really shitty match at Hogwild, I am very disappointed to see that there will be any further follow-up on their feud. I'm uh, No thank you. Yeah. <laughs> also, you find out when Norton isn't like, dressed in wrestling gear, he's dressed like a truck driver. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> when we come back, Meng makes his way out accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Tony bemoans how much things have changed from that happy moment. Pomp and circumstance signals the arrival of the macho man, Randy Savage. Or it should. But though Randy's music plays, he doesn't come out, leading to confused conants by Tony and Bobby and confused looks from the fans. Nick Patrick also seems perplexed, and we go to Mean Gene, who appears in the aisle with a mic in hand. Gene makes his way to the ring, sets the mic down, and confers with Patrick. He tells Patrick that if macho isn't here, he should be counted out. Patrick then goes and confers with Dave Penzer, who announces that due to the injury sustained on Nitro, Randy Savage is not here, and the winner by forfeit is Meng. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I have a lot of questions here. Why did Mean Gene have to be the one to come tell Nick Patrick that Macho Man, if Macho Man's not here, he should be counted? It's like, it comes across as Mean Gene having some weird vendetta against Macho Man <laughs> and wanting to make sure that he's held accountable to the rules. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's just, it's this weird middleman who doesn't need to be there, and it, this whole segment is weird. It's, what a weird thing to do in kayfabe. So just s specifically in kayfabe, mm -hmm. surely WCW knew that Macho Man was injured, because they told us that he was stretchered out of Nitro due to those chair shots. Right. So, they didn't notice that he didn't show up at the building? Like, the last thing, let's just say I'm Eric Bischoff, and Macho Man leaves the arena on Monday in a stretcher, in a, you know, in an ambulance. Well, for the record, they they say that he's there, but wasn't medically cleared. Oh, so he's. I guess I missed that somehow. Yeah. So so kayfabe, he's at the arena, but the doctor didn't medically clear him, which should mean that the match was canceled. Yeah. <laughs> do they do the medical clearance the s right before you're about to walk through the curtain? <laughs> They're like, okay. Meng's about to go. We'll give him a quick medical clearance. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's in the ring. Macho Man, time for your medical clearance. <laughs> oh, no, I don't like the look of this gaping wound at all. <laughs> Macho Man, it's your turn. Oh, my, that bone's sticking out. <laughs> Did you realize that? And the, uh, tell Mean Gene to go down there and get, get the ref to count him out. I guess that's how this is supposed to be working. <laughs> anyway, it's just all that this really accomplishes is annoying the live crowd. Because this, this wasn't an advertised match. It's not that they were expecting Macho Man. Mm -hmm. It's just, you played Macho Man's music. They all thought, oh, good, we get to see Macho Man. And then you tell them, no, you don't. Also, Meng just want to match somehow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And also, Tony Schiavone says this is a tremendous victory for Meng. <laughs> 
Remember last episode I talked about Tony Schiavone's credibility? <laughs> right. I feel like this falls within the auspices of that conversation. <laughs> wow. Tremendous victory. Fuck you, Tony. Oh, boy. This forfeit victory is now a lot more than, like, what was it, Jim Powers? Yes. Is Jim Powers the guy with the established career or whatever? Where Tony said he's had a tremendous success and right. he had one DQ victory where he got choke slammed by the Giant. Yeah, Mink's forfeit victory over Macho Man is far exceeds anything <laughs> he's done for his career. Well, they show multiple replays of Hogan attacking Savage with a chair on Nitro. After that, the Dungeon of Doom is in the ring, minus the Giant, Bubba, and the Leprechaun. Thank you very much, Tony. I should point out for the record, the Macho Man here in town of the Mile High City. But because of that injury sustained on Monday night, doctors not allowing him to compete here at the World Championship Wrestling. All right, the Dungeon of Doom. Yes, yeah. the Lappy Man, Hugh Morris, the Barbarian, Ming, Jimmy Hart, and you, Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, I read something to say to you, Oakland. You know, I don't like Randy Savage, and I spent my whole career hitting people with cheers. But they knew where I was coming from. I didn't praise Hulk Hogan for a year and a half. I told it like it was. I said he was no good, he was self-serving, and he wouldn't face you face to face. I didn't call him the immortal Hulk Hogan. I didn't bow at his feet. I didn't drive in no limousines. I didn't take him from Minneapolis to a bigger town. I didn't take him from that town down to WCW. What do you have to say for yourself and your friend, the immortal Hulk Hogan? All right, well, I did kind of lead the bandwagon, and, uh, and, and Hulk Hogan was a great, great man, but something snapped, and I think these outsiders might have contributed to it. But here's a guy that was on top, and I mean, million-dollar contracts all over the place. And then, of course, things like Thunder in Paradise. I don't think he was ever a, a real serious threat to Sir Lawrence Olivier on that. Then the big television ratings on Monday night. You know about that on Nitro? Oh, uh -uh. my God. Wait a minute here. He wanted to take credit for that. Look at this manpower up here. We are the strongest force in the WCW. I am tired of us worrying about the NWO. I am tired of us worrying about the Four Horsemen. Taskmaster, let's do something about it. Benoit, let me tell the Horsemen something, and especially Benoit. You know, a lot of people have been saying, this Wolverine has dropped me in my head. And it isn't the neighbors, if you get my drip. I, We're the last stand for the WCW, not the horsemen. I get the drift. I thank you, the Dungeon of Doom, Kevin Sullivan, Jimmy Hart, and company. We are live in Denver, Colorado. This is the Clash of Champions on TBS. Don't go away. Gene joins them and tees up Sullivan, who says that he spent his whole career hitting people with chairs, but at least they knew where he was coming from. Hey, Dave. Do you remember when Kevin Sullivan disguised himself as a little old lady and hit Hogan from behind with a cane on Nitro? <laughs> hey, this... that wasn't a chair, though. <laughs> this, this bullshit now that, like, <laughs> yeah, I was a bad guy, but at least you knew. Or, like, no, you fucking disguised yourself as little old ladies. You didn't mm -hmm. You didn't take, like, clear telegraph shots at people. Fuck off. Yeah, and I imagine he's, there probably is a whole reel of him hitting people from behind <laughs> with a chair. <laughs> He rants about how he'd warned everyone what Hogan really was, and then sort of blames Gene, implying that Gene led Hogan out of Minneapolis, referring to the AWA, mm -hmm. to a bigger town, and then from there to WCW. None of this is remotely accurate, and I don't think any of the audience had a clue what he was talking about in the first place. Right. Gene says it's true that he used to be a big fan of Hogan's, and that Hogan was a great, great man, but something changed him, perhaps the Outsiders. He pauses for a moment, distracted by the giggling of Hugh Morris. 
Gene says that Hogan was a guy on top of the world with million-dollar contracts, but then fizzled as an actor, citing specifically Thunder in Paradise and Hogan's wooden performance. As Gene moves on to saying that Hogan tried to take credit for the great ratings on Nitro, Jimmy Hart interrupts to say that the Dungeon of Doom are the strongest force in WCW. For some reason, as he talks, the Leprechaun comes out looking crazed and runs around the <laughs> ring a little bit. That's about all he does. <laughs> right. Sullivan moves on to Benoit. He says that a lot of people have been saying the Wolverine has dropped the Taskmaster on his head. Quote, And it isn't the neighbors if you catch my drift. I sure as shit do not catch your drift, Kevin Sullivan. Right. That was... <laughs> I don't have a fucking clue what your drift is all about on that one. <laughs> Gene says that he gets it, and the Leprechaun runs at the back, and the Dungeon of Doom disperse out of the ring as we go to commercial. <laughs> what a baffling promo. <laughs> No, your drift is not being caught over here. <laughs> After the break, Sonny Ono comes to the ring along with Bull Nakano, and if Sonny is upset over his bike being smashed at Hog Wild, he sure isn't letting on here, doing his usual laughing and smiling all the way to the ring as Nakano brandishes her nutchuck her nutchucks <laughs> as Nakano brandishes her nunchucks and screams. The camera actually finds a couple of Japanese fans in attendance oh, who hey. cheer Bull on as Tony puts over the international flavor of the WCW roster. <laughs> Medusa is out next to a decent response to the crowd, and here to call all the action is our own Dave Amantorp. <laughs> I was trying to think of something funny that referred to, like, boob jobs, because Medusa's got a big old boob job, but... Big old rack. Nothing... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing came to mind. Here's our own big old rack, Dave Amateur. <laughs> we got a big old rack of Dave over here. <laughs> okay, so the match begins with Medusa hitting a few chops, but misses a drop kick after Nakano holds onto the ropes. Bull throws Medusa around the ring with a couple really good-looking hair tosses, which Tony wonders why men don't try that to each other, <laughs> yes. which, which I think is a valid question. It's a great point. It really <laughs> is. I mean, there's a lot of guys with really long hair. That would be very pissed if you did that to them. <laughs> so imagine just uh, like Sting throwing Kevin Nash across the ring by his hair, you know? <laughs> That'd be great. I, I, I'm i imagining it right now. It's it is, And it is. It's great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, while Randy Eller is quote-unquote distracted, Bolicano uses her nunchucks on Medusa. Randy Eller is talking to Sonny Ono, but has a very clear view of what's happening. Yes. And once she gets the nunchucks, he turns away so he's not looking. I can't believe that Nakano and Medusa, uh, like, in backstage, agreed to let Randy Eller be their referee again after how badly he fucked up their finish at Hog Wild. Oh, yeah. You remember that where he was supposed to, like... I didn't... I just... I never remember who the referees oh, are. Oh, sure. I just remember because he screwed it up so bad. Mm -hmm. If I was Nakano or Medusa, I'd be like, no, get this... Well, I don't know. If the other wrestler botches something, you try to show your trust by going out there with again. So yeah. maybe it's easy for me to say, but if you're actually... You know, this is your coworker, maybe you don't want to be a big dick. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, he's already fucking it up again. Uh, Medusa tries to rally back with some punches, only to be clotheslined to the mat, followed by a splash for a two-count. After coming off the turnbuckles with a botched flying body press, Medusa hits three of those like shoulder takedowns or whatever they're yeah, called. Yeah, I, I couldn't find the name for it. Um, I think it was a shoulder block, shoulder tackle. Yeah, something like that. A lady fan around here yells, 
Come on, Medusa. Kick her in her fat ass. I, yeah, I heard that. Oh, is that later? Did you have a note on that? No, no. I just okay. I just really remember that. <laughs> in her fat ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Medusa then attempts a sunset flip, but Bull uses her fat ass and sits on her for a two count. Oh, it looks brutal. It's mm-hmm. not quite like Mabel's sit-out senton, but yeah. I don't want Bull Nakano uh, to sit on me. Yeah. That sounds grosser than I intended, but 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 she also does it where she kind of does like a splits too. Yeah, and I also like that she she like kind of uh, gestures like ah see can't can't counter that. <laughs> um, but Medusa kicks out. Medusa then drop kicks Bull out of the ring, and when she comes off the top rope for a cross body, Nakano moves and Sonny Ono gets hit instead. Yeah, uh, in which Sonny Ono does it like he does it's like he's dead. He just corpses on the ground. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's hard for him to maintain, though, because a terrible woman who is bad shoves his head a few times <laughs> just for jollies because he's up against the guardrail and she's sitting there. A terrible woman who is yeah, also bad. F- yeah, fuck you, lady. Like, don't don't mess she, with the performers, even if they're heels. She probably was the fat ass. <laughs> she, she almost certainly was. Yeah. We get back to the ring and Bull uh, holds out Medusa for Sonny Ono to get his revenge. But guess what? He kicks Nakano <laughs> in the arm instead. Oh, no, that's certainly the opposite of his intention. <laughs> this gives Medusa the opportunity for a schoolboy, which gets her the pinfall yeah. victory. It should be noted that Randy Eller saw that kick, too. Oh, so I yeah. guess this falls under the it's not interference because it was your manager kicking you. Mm-hmm. So somehow that's okay, I guess. I've always thought that they like interference that backfires has tended to not been disqualifications. <sighs> yeah. It's a little, I, it's a loose, it's loose. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this match was short um, and was very forgettable. I would agree. Yeah, I don't really have much to say. Uh, I don't even know if it was better or worse than the one at Hog Wild. I don't even know that I could really pin a, a decision uh, th- on that. I mean, this one, th- this match was like three minutes. So It wasn't bad, but it yeah. just did not stand out in any I mean, noticeable th- way. This one's finish went through without a, a problem, so that's true. M- maybe that's better. I mean, the the other match from Hogwild, I just remember how she did about a hundred dollars worth of damage onto that motorcycle. <laughs> yes, but uh, anyway, <laughs> Medusa, everyone. As she exits the ring, Medusa briefly bends forward and double slaps her own ass in the general direction of Bull. Yeah. Just a weird little taunt. Yeah, I was like, that'll show her. <laughs> We see some replays and then head to the back and mean Gene Okerlund. Indeed there are, Tony. I'm joined by Miss Elizabeth and, of course, woman. Always a pleasure to have you here at the Clash of the Champions. It's a pleasure to be here. And the nature boy, Ric Flair. You know, WCW tonight going up against the NWO as you challenge Hulk Hogan for the coveted title that now has uh, NWO on it instead of WCW. We're kind of all in this thing together. You are a 13-time World Heavyweight Champion. Mean Gene, you and I... We'll never be in it together. Tonight, it's the nature boy. Woo! It's the girl. It's the four horsemen. And it's the new world order. Let me see. 13 times WCW champion. One time new world order champion. Tonight, Hogan, names don't change. We just change the date, the year. It's you and me. It's an attitude in life. It's wanting to be the very best 
It's wanting to be at the pinnacle of what you do for a living. I know, woo, that tonight when I walk that aisle, style and profile, I'll be the best. You've changed Hollywood. You've changed your outfit. But you haven't changed the makeup. Nash, you jump on me. You deal with Mongo. Chico, you jump on me. You got the enforcer. Anybody else out there in the NWO wants to find out woo, how to play with the Avalanche and the Rockies? Come on down. Because the nature boy is going to say it one more time. Whether you like it, Hulk Hogan, or you don't like it, learn to love it. Woo! Because it's the best thing going today. And Hogan, you know why we don't beat up my best friend? Because I can't, and neither can you. Think about it as you walk the aisle tonight. Woo! Girl. Thank you very much. I can, we're going to dance. If he does tonight. anything tonight we're in the ring, there will be a party here in Denver. More of the class coming back on CBS in a moment. Gene is joined in the locker room by Flair, Miss Elizabeth, and Woman. Gene's question for Flair is, as always, barely a question and is slightly more rambly than normal. I, I've been noticing that Gene, when he starts off these interviews, he doesn't actually ask a question. He just sort of says things mm -hmm. about the general state and then the person just does whatever promo they want. But this time, I, I it was so over the top, like, not a question that I wrote it down. Here's exactly what Gene Okerlund says. Okay. You know, WCW tonight going up against the NWO as you challenge Hulk Hogan for the coveted title that now has NWO on it instead of WCW. We're all kind of in this thing together. You are a 13-time world heavyweight champion. <laughs> he just gave his promo for him. <laughs> like, that's just a series of unconnected thoughts. <laughs> that's not a question. Sometimes people call you the nature boy. You wear robes to the ring. <laughs> The belt has NWO on it. You are a 13-time <laughs> world champion. <laughs> Flair says that he and Gene are never going to be in it together. Flair is... <laughs> Which is a bullshit thing to say. Because those <laughs> two joke all the time about like partying <laughs> after the show. Flair is also kind of rambly and nonsensical tonight. He says that it's the 13-time WCW champion versus the one-time NWO champion. But that's wrong on both counts. Not all of Flair's 13 world championships were with WCW title, so that's mm. wrong. And even if the NWO championship really were to count as its own new title, which it does not, right. Hogan would still mm. be considered a six-time world champion, having won the WWF championship five times, the WCW title once, and now this fictitious NWO title another time. <laughs> Flair says that names don't change. We just change the date, the year. O okay. The same thing. He talks about both men having the same drive to be the best, then says that Hogan may have changed his name, even though he just said that names don't change, and his outfit, but the makeup of who Hogan is stays the same. If Nash messes with Flair, he'll have to deal with Mongo. If Hall, who Flair calls Chico, tries anything, he'll be dealing with Arn. <laughs> he says it pretty funny, too. Chico! <laughs> and whether Hogan likes it or doesn't like it, he should learn to love it. <laughs> the best line of the promo is the closer when Flair asks Hogan, 
you know why I don't beat up on my best friend? Because I can't, and neither can you. Yes. Oh, that, that was, was a good line. That was a good one. This was not a great Flair promo, but he pulled it out at the end with just a fucking great mm. sterling platinum line like that. Right. Nature because, boy, you redeemed it. Because he, he hypes up Arn and also is like, your friends are terrible. That's why you can beat them up. Yeah. Because they're worthless. Yeah, I'm the nature boy. I'm the 13-time world champ, and my best friend is a tougher ass kicker than I am. <laughs> right. And he doesn't like you. Right. <laughs> After a commercial break, DDP's music plays, or at least for me, the shitty WWE network version of it plays. Yep. And Tony plugs Fall Brawl coming up one month from today, September 15th. Tony notes that Fall Brawl will have war games, the match beyond. And I really don't like when a special gimmick match is attached to a pay-per-view rather than arising naturally from the story of a feud. This is something that happens in WWE all the time now that Hell in a Cell is a pay-per-view. Oh, So sure. they have to reverse engineer feuds that go into a Hell in a Cell rather than have a feud naturally needs a hell in a cell to solve it mm-hmm. uh so it's kind of funny that everyone complains about that with wwe these days when you can go back and see like wow that was actually a problem wcw was having in 1996 well and i think they like even in the late 80s was when they had the first war games yeah and i wonder how long it was specifically attached to fall brawl because i know certainly fall brawl last year had the one with hogan and sting and they were wearing the camo and the face paint that wasn't oh, needed either. Yeah, when uh, when the giant wrenches yes. uh, Hogan's neck. I always remember. Yes. Oh, that's I, right. It's specifically he wrenched it. Yes. Which is, I don't even know if that's a, a sort of injury you can get or. A wrenching? A wrenching? He, he, yeah. I've got I a mean, wrenched neck. Ow. Uh, that, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, it reminded me of something. Um, and I'm sure this is all just going to get cut anyway. <laughs> but uh, during that VK Wall Street match, yeah. you know, when he, he went under the ring to grab, what did he grab under there? VK. Nothing. He went under the ring and never came up with Oh, anything. he came up with a four and nothing? Yeah. Yeah, but I just like, every time Bobby Heenan uh, sees someone going for a weapon, he, he always is like, he's going to grab a wrench. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, I always like his ideas for weapons are like wrenches yeah. and tire irons and just It must like, be something Nick Bockwinkle did once that he's just latched onto. <laughs> Out next is Eddie Guerrero, as Tony mentions that this match will be for the non-prestigious non-title of Lord of the Ring, only he just calls it the Battle Bowl Championship. Tony puts over Eddie's heart and desire in the wake of Guerrero's loss on Saturday to Ric Flair. Bobby says that everywhere he goes, people ask him about Eddie Guerrero. Is he really that fast? Is he really that capable? Is he that good? And Bobby always tells them to leave him alone. Yes. <laughs> he's... he's- you said that one be- a few times, but <laughs> it's, it's good. Still, it's still funny. That's that's one that's always gonna work. I I just like the idea that he's like eating at an airport restaurant, and someone's like, "Eddie Guerrero, is he that capable? <laughs> is he that fast? Or are you guys doing camera tricks?" <laughs> <laughs> DDP spits his gum at Eddie, and Randy Eller kicks it out as the bell sounds. They lock up, and DDP shoves Eddie to the mat and turns to pose the crowd so he misses Eddie's immediate kip-up. Eddie doesn't make much of the opportunity, though, slapping on a side headlock and heading to the ropes, where he soon levels Paige with a shoulder block. Off the ropes again, and Dallas tries for a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker that Eddie reverses into a head-scissors takeover, which he follows with a dropkick that sends DDP into a corner. Eddie Irish whips him into the corner opposite, then charges, but DDP moves out of the way, and Eddie dives into the ring post shoulder first. 
DDP looks to capitalize, stomping on the pro- stomping on the prone Guerrero before choking him with his boot. Bobby channels Larry Zabisco as he contradicts Tony, who claimed that DDP knows his craft to point out that Paige is making a mistake by not focusing on the shoulder that Eddie hurt moments earlier. That's not a good quality to get from Larry Zabisco. <laughs> DDP is doing fine, though, as he picks Eddie up for a gut buster and a tilt-a-whirl side slam for two. DDP slows things down with a chin lock, Getting his feet up on the ropes for added leverage in the chin lock, I guess. I don't know if that would really make a chin lock hurt worse, but let's go with it. Yeah, he did that in uh, with the match with Renegade that I was trying to oh, say. Yeah, like, yeah. He's putting his feet on the ropes, but it seems like that wouldn't give leverage. <laughs> yes, I agree. It's like, you know, I like cheating for the sake of cheating, but it also has to kind of make sense to right. me. You know, yes. if you're getting, like, if you do an abdominal stretch and you use the ropes, that makes sense. But, like, the chin lock thing is just, it looks ridiculous, and it's, I don't know, it's just like, oh, we got to do a spot where the referee checks and doesn't yeah. see you and all that. Eller cottons on to what DDP is doing and warns him, but sure enough, when he isn't looking, that dastardly Paige does it again. Bobby is still looking for things about Paige to pick on, so he says that Paige made a big mistake and left in one of his earrings, saying that if he were Guerrero, he'd go right for that. A faint but noticeable Eddie chant starts up, and Eddie works his way to his feet and escapes the chin lock with an arm drag. He uses an arm to sweep DDP's leg, and Paige goes down with one of his big banana peel bumps. Yep. (laughs) Back on their feet, the two men exchange blows until Eddie snaps and hits a bit harder and then gets a single leg dropkick. He climbs the ropes to the apron in order to come back into the ring with a slingshot, slingshot senton, which gets a two count. DDP gets a jawbreaker and a hell of a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count of his own. Paige sets Eddie up on the middle turnbuckle, but Eddie shoves him off and gets the frog splash kind of out of nowhere yeah. for the victory. Yeah, I know because this wasn't a match I was doing the um, play-by-play for, so I wasn't 100% paying attention. Yeah. And, I, and then he hits a frog splash, I'm like, well, he's not going to pin him now, is he? <laughs> but he does. Eddie Guerrero wins the ring, declares Tony, and Randy Eller hands him the dumb battle bowl ring. Eddie celebrates, and one of the D's in DDP must now stand for dejected, because that's how Paige looks. (laughs) Dejected Dallas Paige? Diamond dejected Paige? You decide. (laughs) He offers a hand to Guerrero, and the gullible babyface takes it. DDP shakes Eddie's hand for a second, but holds on a bit too long, Uh and turns it into a diamond cutter. (laughs) Oh, dastardly. (laughs) He chokes Eddie for a bit, and when Randy Eller doesn't like it, Paige tosses him from the ring. Another cutter for Guerrero follows, and the crowd is actually into this, mostly cheering Paige on. It's that diamond cutter. The cutter is just so over. People are like, yay, keep doing it. Yeah. Dallas sets Eddie up on the top rope, and Chavo Guerrero runs down for the save. But DDP shoves him aside and hits a sloppy super cutter on Eddie. Yes, (laughs) he does. Paige leaves to celebrate with two fan-made signs with the number 10 on them, similar to the ones that he used to make the diamond doll hold up for him. Mm -hmm. Chavo, Randy Anderson, and the doctor all check on Eddie. I tell you, the, the entire Guerrero family has to be looking on here. Hector, Chavo Sr. Wait, what's this? Wait, Hulk Hogan has arrived. We're getting ready to go to a replay here. He's roughing up Oakland. How dare you come out here, mean Gene, and talk about Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Qualify what you just said about me, dude. It's First Amendment rights. It's freedom of speech. After what you've done, the way you've stuck it to fans all over the world, I think I'm entitled to to speak my piece without getting manhandled. 
Well, you know, you gotta understand, those are under normal rules, brother. But here tonight, in Denver, Colorado, the NWO rules. So you better watch your step. May not rule for long. You've got Ric Flair later on here at the Clash, and he is, he is ready. You know something I hear? All oh, Ric Flair's fans out there. It ends due time, brother. I'm gonna shut all those chumps up out there, brother, because Ric Flair, in all his glory, couldn't even lace my boots up. 13 times WCW Heavyweight Champion is an unlucky number, brother. And he'll never be the NWO Champion. And no matter how hard he works, only one man will be the Babe Ruth of wrestling. Only one man will be the Michael Jordan of basketball. Only one man will be the Hollywood Hulk Hogan of wrestling. Listen to this crowd. Not very often that you have walked into an arena jam-packed like this and the fans haven't been behind Hulk Hogan. They are no longer behind you. You know, it all, it all depends on what you compare it to, brother. There are certain levels of excellence in life. Ric Flair brags about styling and profiling rear jets and limousines. With the NWO, me and the outsiders, that's just standard procedure. And like I said, brother, me and the outsiders, we've categorized all the wrestlers in the WCW. And starting tonight, when I beat the former dirtiest player in the game at his own game, Ric Flair will be known in the ratings all around the world as the stupid little man that couldn't get the job done. Just like you. So you, from now on, stay out of my face. All right, speaking of the pens, he does that again. I may need some help. Stay tuned, we've got more from Denver here at the class. You understand me? I do understand. Meanwhile, there's a doings a transpiring up at the entrance ramp. What? As Hulk Hogan is there dragging a reluctant Gene Okerlund by the collar. <laughs> I was trying to interview by Tanae again. <laughs> He's... <laughs> Hogan is irate about the comments Gene made earlier in the segment about with the Dungeon of Doom. I guess the criticism of his acting abilities. Oh, yeah, because I remember he specifically said, like, I I've seen Thunder in Paradise, and believe me, he's no Lawrence Olivier. Right, which I think is a specific comment that uh, Zabisco has used before, too. The Thunder in Paradise and Lawrence Olivier specifically. Yeah, because I, I was like, I feel like I've heard on WCW the name Lawrence Olivier before. I, I don't think they're sharing the same notes. I think that's just everyone's touch point for like, okay, who's the greatest actor of all time? Right. And everyone still goes to Lawrence Olivier. Mm -hmm. Gene asserts his First Amendment rights and the right to give his opinions without being manhandled. <laughs> Hogan says that those are the normal rules, but tonight in Denver, the NWO rules. Whoa. So Gene should watch his step. Hogan says he's going to shut up all Flair's fans because Flair isn't even worth lacing up Hogan's boots and he'll never be the NWO champion. Hogan says only one man will be the Babe Ruth of wrestling. Only one man will be the Michael Jordan of basketball. Yes. Only one. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <laughs> yeah. His name is Michael Jordan. <laughs> right. 
Okay, but that's just a little slip-up, but I'm sure that the Hulkster will get things back on track here. Uh-huh. Only one man will be the Hollywood Hulk Hogan of wrestling. Uh, okay. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> wow. I he he got off like you got where it was going. It was going to be one man, you know, everyone of wrestling. Right. He really on that second pot stumbled and and just could not get the train back on the tracks there. See, Gene points. See, there's the thing. Like now that he's a heel, he has yeah. to come up with like this new material. <laughs> yes. And he is fucking failing at it. <laughs> Gene points to the crowd not backing Hogan and how that's a new thing for the Hulkster. Hulk says that there's levels of excellence, and the stuff that Flair brags about, limos, women, etc., that's just standard procedure for the NWO. He reiterates that they've categorized all the WCW wrestlers, and that Flair will now be known, quote, in the ratings all around the world, end Ooh. quote, as the stupid little man. Oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be known as the stupid little man, but definitely not in the ratings all around the world. <laughs> <laughs> whatever that means i was i was held up to such a high regard in those ratings <laughs> now i'm just a stupid small little man after the break which includes the blood run colds vignette that we've seen ten thousand goddamn times by now mm-hmm. chris Benoit makes his entrance with woman and miss elizabeth at his side tony takes us through some programming changes for wcw as pro will be moving from saturday morning to sunday evening swapping with wcw main event and moving an hour earlier, which is weird because so main event on Sundays has been the pre-show for WCW pay-per-views, but now Pro is going to have the Sunday slot, and it's going to be an hour earlier, so it can't really be like a live lead-in anymore. I don't know why they would give that up. That seemed like a really effective strategy. I, I you know, when they mentioned it, that's the first time I found out, like, what the slots were. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, I, I, I did hear it, but it just it didn't have a big impact on my on my life. The evil laughter of the Dungeon of Doom signals the arrival of the former world heavyweight champion, the Giant. He comes out with Jimmy Hart looking very intense and very shiny. <laughs> the bell rings while Hart, Woman, and Liz are still in the apron. In fact, Woman is still helping Benoit get his vest off. In fact, it seems like she may be deliberately holding his vest and not helping at all, and Benoit looks at her in frustration right as the 7-foot-tall, 400-pound giant fucking drop kicks him (laughs) into the corner (laughs) holy shit giant hoist benoit up for a choke slam and he gets this guy up as high as he possibly can go yep then he gets a bit of a running start and leaps into the air and comes crashing down with the biggest and best choke slam i have ever seen yes Benoit sells completely being he's dead yeah Benoit just lays there completely motionless and that is it the giant covers for the one two three in under 30 seconds Uh, I guess they were looking for a way to rebuild the giant after taking the belt off him Uh, you know that was his first was that his first pinfall loss to Hogan at Hogwild I think it was probably uh, I would think so. So I don't like that this came at Benoit's expense because Benoit's so good. Uh, but they found a way that protected him that kind of builds the storyline with, you know, what's the deal with women's loyalties. Mm-hmm. So I guess the way that, like, they advanced a storyline involving Benoit, gave him an excuse for the loss, and re- tried, you know, to start the rebuilding of the giant. Mm-hmm. I didn't have as big a problem with this on paper as I would if you just said, 
the giant beats Chris Benoit in 30 seconds, I'd say, what the hell? Yeah. The way it was done, though, I don't feel like it diminishes Chris Benoit that much, and he can come out on Nitro and get a bunch of, like, big victories and be just fine. Yeah, I, I thought this was a very effective 30-second match. Yeah, more of an angle, really. Yeah, and, and like, it's more, um, it plays more up like a fluke right. uh, for Benoit, but also, it's like, um, <laughs> it's like uh, if you try a video game on a harder uh, difficulty yeah. than you realize, <laughs> yes. and you suddenly, you just get so dominated, you just have no idea what happened. Yeah. Like, his power bar went down to zero from that <laughs> drop kick. In, in Benoit's defense, like if you immediately got drop kicked by the giant, oh my god! Whatever, whatever happens after that is just like okay, I'm I'm at your disposal. It's terrifying to think the giant can do a drop kick. And this, it wasn't even like uh like trying to look like you could do drop kicks. Right. This was a real effective drop kick. And it wasn't a drop kick where the guy's running at you and you jump up in the air. He charged Benoit. So it's a like running drop kick. Yeah, it's a it's a super powered God. giant drop kick. It's it's a squash, but I really liked it. Yeah, I I'm that's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm surprised at how much I actually enjoyed that segment and thought it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'll think of it differently if they don't follow up on it. Right. Which, you know, WCW, <laughs> there's always a possibility they won't mention it or anything like that. Yeah. But if, if that starts with, like, Benoit having an issue with woman, then then this is a really effective match. And like you said, they really needed to give Giant, like, a big decisive victory. Right. And that was about as well as you could do it. The Giant stalks to the back. Tony throws to commercial by saying, fans, when we come back, a triangle match. Like, that's so inciting in and of itself. You better stick around. <laughs> right. When we come back, Tony tells us that the next match is for the tag team titles, and he puts over WCW's tag team division. Sort of. He says that heavyweight championship and singles competition has always been the hallmark of wrestling, uh -huh. but that some of the greatest tag teams in the history currently live in WCW. So he's like, tag team wrestling is definitely the lesser part of wrestling, but we do have the best of it. <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, okay. The Steiner brothers are out first, followed by Sting and Lex. Sting is wearing purple and yellow tonight to mock Dave and I for being Vikings fans. No. Last out are the champions, Harlem Heat. They come out accompanied by Sherry, but not Kerbal Robert, but not Colonel Robert Parker. Tony reminds us that the Heat do not need to be in the ring to lose the titles tonight, and I remind you that in these early WCW triangle matches, only two men can legally be in the ring, so the third team must just wait and try to get an opportunity to tag themselves in. Mm -hmm. The only other time we've seen one of these triangle matches was at Starcade 1995 nearly nine months ago when Ric Flair defeated Lex Luger and Sting in a number one contender match for the world title that Ric Flair then went on to take from Randy Savage in the main event. Before the bell can ring, Colonel Parker shows up and walks to the ring looking serious. He takes his place next to Sherry, and here to call all of the action is our own fried pie, Dave Amantorp. Oh, sweet. Okay, so after a lot of uh, gesturing and posturing and taunting each other, we start off the best way, which is Booker T and Scott Steiner. So in theory, Sting and Luger have already lost this match. <laughs> There's some early back and forth before Booker T levels Scott with a reverse back kick. Booker T heads to the top rope, and Scott tries to stop him, but Booker T thwarts him, but is unable to jump off the top quick enough 
So Scott gets back up and grabs him anyway. Scott Steiner looks like he wants to slam him in the ring, but Booker kind of maneuvers himself, so he gets crotched on the ropes instead. It's a, it's, it just looks a little odd where I think Scott wanted one thing to happen, Booker just decided the other thing would happen. So, yeah. um, so he's crotched on the ropes, and Lex Luger on the on the apron on that side sees his opportunity and clotheslines Booker T. Booker rolls out of the ring to recuperate and then tags in his brother, Stevie Ray. Scott tags Lex Luger in for some reason, <laughs> and Bobby and Tony are quick to admonish Scott for his decision, which I give him credit for. Because really, at this point, in theory, the signers have now lost the match. Lex is pumped, but Stevie doesn't care. He pummels Lex in the corner, beating him down to the mat. And I know you were ta- you were mentioning on on the Nitro of how um, Stevie Ray's a really big guy. Yeah. And th- I think this was kind of a moment where I realized how huge he is because he beats Lex Luger down to the mat, and he looks like a guy that could beat Lex Luger down to the mat. Yeah, no kidding. Which there are not many of those people in the world. However, Lex recovers quickly and turns the tables, pummeling Stevie Ray to the mat. Luger comes off the ropes, but Rick Steiner tags himself in. He, he clotheslines Stevie Ray, and then for good measure, clotheslines Lex Luger. He then heads to the top and hits Stevie Ray with his flying bulldog, but Lex is still in the ring, so he's pretty easily breaking up the cover at, after two. Lex and Rick then get into a shoving contest, which set up Rick getting kicked right in the face once he turned around by Stevie Ray. Stevie then tags in Booker as we head to a commercial break. When we return, Sting gets a blind tag on Rick. He heads to the top, and indecision results in him hitting Booker T with a flying chop for a two-count. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Sting and Booker then, uh, they they have a, a sequence where they switch off trying to hip toss each other before Sting eventually tosses uh, Booker T over the top rope, which isn't a DQ due to that loose like momentum rule that they have. Right. Oh, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is just about as clear as the NFL's catch rule. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing is people are going to be listening to this like at least a week after the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's, it, this joke could not be less fresh. <laughs> it's not even really that funny either. <laughs> just... Uh, I just remember that there's a something called like the momentum where it's like if they go over the top rope, it doesn't count. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But also sometimes referees just don't give a shit or whatever. Uh, anyway, Sting throws Booker T back in the ring and hits a press slam, which I realized I was like, oh, that's actually because Booker T is a big guy and Sting just press slams him without any problem. Right. Before wooing. Woo. Woo. Ray breaks up the count as Tony tells the viewing audience that Sting and Lex Luger will face the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson in the main event of next Monday's Nitro, which is riveting. <laughs> uh, Sting then tags in Luger, and as Booker T tags in Stevie Ray, we learn Savage, if he's cleared, will face the Giant on Monday as well. And good God, good God almighty, we're going to get a VK Wall Street Jim Duggan rematch. Oh, you don't think Duggan's getting that that win back? <laughs> you think true. you think Jim Duggan's gonna allow himself to have a loss <laughs> that he doesn't immediately get back? <laughs> God, I that's so inevitable. <laughs> Luger tags in Sting, but Stevie Ray pounces on him quickly, getting an eye rake and a body slam before the Stinger even knew what hit him. 
Uh, Scott Steiner tags himself in via Stevie Ray as Tony comments on the lenient tags that Nick Patrick is allowing. Yeah. Which is like a really ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> uh, as Tony and, and Bobby start t- talking about like how tagging someone not on the hand is like not a legal tag. <laughs> okay. Which has That's never, news to me. Which has never been a problem till right now. <laughs> Uh, there's anyway some back and forth without a clear advantage until Sting catches Scott off the ropes with, and hits a hot shot. Sting off the top with a cross body block, but his cover is broken up right away by Rick. Sting then with a suplex attempt, which is reversed by Scott into a reverse DDT. Scott then hit his double underhook power bomb. If that it was a power bomb, yeah, yeah, but Lex manages to break up the cover. Luger and Rick are tagged in as Bobby Heenan gets confused by the rules of the match like 10 minutes into the match. Yeah, he at this point, Bobby Heenan makes it sound like um, that the tag team champions have to be in in order to lose the match. Right. Because he was like, oh, yeah, they should just lean back and not really let these other guys beat each other up. And then Tony's like, well, I mean, they can lose the match, though. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of go back and <laughs> forth. And it's like, we're 10 minutes into the match, and he's still not realizing. <laughs> anyway, Luger lays out Rick Steiner with a couple of clotheslines, but a third attempt is dodged as Rick Steiner hits a big release German suplex. Rick tags in Brother Scott, who continues assault with a belly to belly suplex. Scott then jumps off the turnbuck off the top rope, but Luger catches him and tries to put him in the torture ring, <laughs> in which he has him on his shoulders. Uh, like in a fireman's carry. Right. But then he just kind of does the jumping up and down like he's in the torture rack. Yeah. And every, and Tony's saying he's trying to put him in the torture rack. I think Luger believes this is convincing enough to be the torture rack. <laughs> e- either way, Rick comes in, kicks Luger in the back of the knee, and we have mayhem inside and outside of the ring. Eventually, we are left with Scott and Booker T., who are, um, who are not the legal men fighting in the ring as the outsiders arrive in the aisle and attack s- someone as the camera does not catch any of it. We only hear from the announcers that they're there. Meanwhile, Scott hits a Frankensteiner on Booker T and covers him, Booker T not being the legal man, but Nick Patrick instead, after h- counting two, goes for the DQ as he sees the outsiders attacking the other competitors outside of the ring. Which I said, it was fair enough since Booker, again, wasn't the legal man. <laughs> right. Tony Giovanni starts saying that you can't get disqualified for attacking the guy outside the, uh, outside the ring, which is ridiculous, and <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever made that claim before. Scott Steiner grabs Patrick by the shirt, and Patrick pleads his case, insisting he had to call for the DQ. The announcers imply that this was once again a shifty call by Nick Patrick. Maybe we're supposed to suspect that the beneficiaries here... Harlem Heat are joining the NWO? I don't... Because I the whole thing with Patrick is that he's been helping the NWO. This time it's like, in no way did the NWO benefit. Mm-hmm. Unless the only other thing I can think of is perhaps that little thing where Parker was late. Maybe we're supposed to think he was backstage paying somebody off, paying off a third party who somehow got word to Patrick that the payment... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Dave Penzer announces the official disqualification result, and Steiner continues to yell at Patrick as the ref bails. Replays show Nash and Hall attacking the guys in the aisle, but also shows that Patrick could clearly see this before he dropped down and counted to two. Yeah. So he... (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just it's just a fuck with him. Yeah, and not only that, but when he finally does call for the disqualification, the outsiders were actually already retreating. <laughs> so if you take this strictly in kayfabe, whether Patrick is paid off or not, he seems to have chosen to make the moment more dramatic by doing it in the middle of a pin. Right. Exactly. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. All right, Tony, I don't know if we're ready or not, but Nick Patrick, after oh, what I don't blame him for being hot. Why? What was your call up there? It was a disqualification for outside interference. What do you think it was? Where was the outside interference? Didn't you watch the same match? Did you not see the outsiders come down here and attack these guys on the floor? Did they get in the ring? No, they didn't get in the ring, but they interfered in the match. Any rule book that's in print today for wrestling, if you look it up, outside interference is a disqualification. You know, those men never even got into the ring. As a matter of fact, I don't think they even made it within 30 feet of the ring. That's a good point. They never got in the ring. Which brings me to the one point that I want to get across. What makes a referee great is to be able to see two different things happening at one time. And I've just proved to you in the entire wrestling world that I have that ability. I was in the ring. That's an unfortunate break for the Steiner brothers now. Don't get me wrong. But I had to watch all the action. Now, I don't want to have to get hauled down to the WCW offices again for this. If you have to review it, then review it. Wait, I, wait a minute, I, Nick. I followed the book to the T. But, Nick, a lot of people are pointing fingers at you right now for what's happened here in the last week and a half. Well, I know there's been a lot of unfortunate incidents take place here in the last week and a half. Okay. Well, I, I will I, I respect totally your... innocent. I WCW re- all the way, Gene. I'll respect your judgment. I thank you very much. Oh, by the way... I couldn't help but notice those nice Armani suits and everything you've been getting lately. Looks very good stuff, what do you mean? We've got more of the Clash from Denver. We're live, and we're having a ball. They are hanging from the Raptors tonight. Mean Gene tries to get a word with Patrick, but first has to deal with Steiner pushing past the senior official on the way to the back. Gene says he can't blame Steiner for being hot, and Patrick innocently asks why, as if he has no clue why Steiner would be mad. (laughs) Gene asks what the call was. I guess he didn't hear Dave Penzer announce it to the entire arena, and Patrick reiterates that it was a disqualification due to interference. Gene asks, where was the outside interference? And now between Gene and Steiner, I'm totally on Patrick's side. (laughs) Seriously? Because two men who weren't in the match beat up guys who were in the match, and the ref saw it. What is the outrage exactly? (laughs) I don't... I... Ugh. Gene presses Patrick about the fact that the Outsiders didn't actually get in the ring. Patrick agrees that they never got in the ring and says that's what makes him a great referee, Mm -hmm. his ability to see two things happening at the same time. Gene points out that Patrick has been the center of controversy for a bit now, and Patrick agrees that there have been a number of unfortunate incidents, but insists that he is totally innocent. Gene says he trusts Patrick completely, and then, for no reason whatsoever, compliments him on all the nice Armani suits that Patrick has been buying lately mm-hmm. before throwing to commercial. <laughs> that match wasn't... It was fine. It was just... I I don't know. I found it kind of boring, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny that the Nasty Boys promised, basically, that they were going to interfere in that match and then didn't, and oh, some other yeah. guys interfered yes. in it. <laughs> that was just funny. Um, now, Now I realize that, I mean... Because uh, I thought Nick Patrick delivered a pretty good promo. Yeah. Considering he's... Yes. A- I Sorry, I was distracted when you said that. Yes. Nick Patrick was great. Yeah. And so now I'm figuring out, like, they probably picked him because he could talk. Right. But he's not good at, like, any of the action stuff. So they have someone that keeps on messing up, like, these these moments or 
like with not doing the right fast count or or oh like the chop blocking Lex Luger right but they probably picked him to be the guy that's helping the NWO because he's able to give a promo not only his promo but his facial expressions during the time when uh Steiner was like yanking him around mm-hmm. he he's just eyes were bugging out and it's just I thought he was hilarious in a good way uh, so, yeah, I'm actually really digging the Nick Patrick heel turn, uh, at least the Nick Patrick part of it. And you're right. When he actually has to do stuff in the ring, it's maybe not that smooth. Yeah. But at least his character work is pretty great. Yeah. When we get back from commercial, Ric Flair's music is playing and he's introduced by David Penzer, which is too bad because I was really hoping for some buffer. Yeah. Maybe they couldn't afford buffer uh, <laughs> like a week later. Let's just say when I'm watching a WCW main event, it's the only time on my WWE network that I'm hoping for some buffering. <laughs> you didn't even have that written down, did I you? didn't. I said <laughs> I, I said I was hoping for some buffer, and then the wheels started turning. <laughs> just, you, in, your, in your mind, there's a hamster. Yeah. yeah. Well, but in the background is that do 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 do. That's where the the joke factory where the jokes get made. <laughs> Quick, we gotta pop this out. <laughs> Flair is, of course, brought to the ring by woman in Miss Elizabeth. Tony does a great job reminding us of Hogan's start with the company, debuting at a ticker tape parade, winning the title from Flair in his first WCW match at Bash at the Beach, nineteen ninety four and retaining the title in a count-out loss to Flair after being attacked by a masked man at Clash of the Champions 28 in August of that same year. A show, by the way, you can hear me talk about in my guest appearance a few months ago on the Raw is Nitro podcast. Oh. Uh, by the way, if you do listen to that, I apologize for all my coughing. I <laughs> I, I thought Dude was going to edit it out like I edited a bunch of this show. He's, I think, not as big of an editor as me, so when I listened to it, I was like, <laughs> Oh, God, I just <laughs> coughed freely the whole time because I thought they'd be gone. So my apologies to everyone who suffered through that. I think there's a reason he hasn't asked me back on the show. <laughs> that, <laughs> He's like, well, that's rough. Yeah, that fucker just coughed for like two straight hours. <laughs> now, two years later, Tony says the tides have turned as Flair is being cheered on by all of WCW and Hogan is the centerpiece of the NWO. And this was some really fine work by Tony Schiavone that makes this free TV match that was hastily thrown together after a pay-per-view mm-hmm. feel very important. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tony did a... He was on fire for that little moment there. Hogan makes his way to the ring next, doing some nice heel shtick on his way, pointing and snarling at audience members sitting adjacent to the aisle. Hogan actually still gets a pop for tearing off his shirt, and something worth mentioning is that Hogan, who was noticeably leaner in his final WWF run and his initial run in WCW is now looking much more hulking. (laughs) Of course, the skinny version of the Hulkster first appeared in 1993 during his final WWF run, which happened to be the same year that Vince McMahon went on trial for criminal conspiracy related to his alleged distribution of steroids. Hey, make sure to have that word alleged in there. In that trial, Hogan admitted under oath to taking steroids, which was something that he'd infamously completely denied only two years before that in an appearance on Arsenio. Ever since Hogan debuted for WCW in 94, he's been that trimmed down version, but he must have spent the last four to five months where he was kind of on break following Uncensored. Uh, he must have been sitting at Postamania, bulking up. Yeah, just getting a lot of those carbs. Just eating carbs and lifting weights. Yep. That's how he does it. <laughs> just parked outside of Postamania, I guess shoveling I it in. <laughs> 
I didn't notice it Bash at the Beach or Hog Wild, but for whatever reason tonight, I was like, he's starting to look like Hulk Hogan again, not the weird skinny Hogan where you first watch that 94 WCW and you're like, whoa, look at lean, trim Hulk Hogan. I, I, I think I'm just more caught on by his, like, how tan he is. Sure. His, yes. his tan can sometimes just go really overboard. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, I think it's not as obvious when he when they were outside, but like in, indoors when he's when you can compare him to like normal looking people, right? He he is not like a, re- a regular person color. <laughs> yes. Randy Anderson shows the spray painted belt to the camera, giving us a real nice view of the nameplate that still says Giant, and I hope that somebody uses the weekend off to get that nameplate changed. Yeah, I mean, well, part of me thought it would be it'd be funny if he just left it there the whole time like he didn't didn't give a <laughs> shit but yeah, well i mean i don't think it's the highest priority on there but it's also if you if you have it on there maybe you shouldn't do like the hold it right up to the camera deal, yeah sure you know it's just kind of funny because this is something i don't remember this and i've just it's not that i've ever paid that much attention i don't remember this being a big deal well does wwf have nameplates Back then, did they? Whatever. I'm, I'm not interested in this w- conversation enough. My point was going to be that it seems like this is constantly a problem in WCW. The nameplate mm. taking forever to get changed. Yeah. And I don't remember that being a... D- WWF didn't have those. That's what I was about to say. Well, yeah. I was like, oh, I just don't think they put the name of the guy on the belt, so that solves that problem. Yeah. They f- they first started doing it when they got the U.S. title because yeah. it was from WCW. And then I know that the that undisputed WWE title had it right um and then now nowadays they just have like the little side plate thing but yeah they kind of went on a little bit of a of a run with those but it was mostly based on like the wcw type titles but uh yeah you just think like if that's a part of your championship deal that you should kind of be on top of things (laughs) right especially since they love to show that belt right in front of the camera so you could read it you could read the one word on there right Hulk makes a big show of pulling off his do-rag and wiping the non-existent sweat off his bald head and flicking it at the nature boy. Uh, the bell is wrong, by the way. That's like the first move of the match, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, this is also like, it feels weird that he is like making a big reference to his bald head. <laughs> yeah. When you know he's very self-conscious <laughs> about that. The two nearly lock up, but Flair pulls back and runs his hands through his hair before strutting. Because <laughs> he's got hair. <laughs> They finally lock up for real, and Flair gets a side headlock. Hogan gets some punches to the kidneys, so Flair takes him down with a headlock takeover, which Hogan counters into a pin attempt for one. Flair gets back to a seated position without relinquishing the hold and works his way to his feet. Hogan sends him to the ropes and knocks him down with a shoulder block, and Flair drags himself to a corner as Hulk flexes a bit, and it starts to become clear very early on that they're going to have a slight problem with Hogan as heel and Flair as face. Hogan's bit has always been getting a little bit of heat with very heelish offense, while mostly garnering sympathy, building to a big, hulked-up comeback. But now he's a heel who doesn't really bump. The comeback would make no sense. I, Hogan as a heel, as a character, great. Hogan as a heel, as a wrestler, I don't quite... I'm starting to wonder how that's going to work in the matches. Because mm-hmm. this whole thing is selling and hulking up. He shouldn't hulk up anymore. He shouldn't... And he, he it's not that he doesn't like selling, but he's old and he's not going to take a bunch of bumps. And your baby, you know, it, uh, 
just he's not like the flair type who can eat offense the whole match, even though he's the heel. Yeah. Um, and his but his offense isn't good enough to be like a heel who's in control the whole time. Mm-hmm. And if he's in the whole, I I just I. It, early on in this match, I started to go, there's a big problem with Hulk Hogan, the wrestler, as a heel. I don't think he has the practice at wrestling that style to yeah. pull it off. Clearly, he's into this, the taunting stuff. Um, I mean, and he's added, like, that back-raking thing, which is kind, which is ridiculous since he has gloves on. Right, right. One thing about Hogan, since he's going to be heel, is that he has to... There's aspects of his wrestling that he has to change. And I feel like... At this point, either he doesn't realize that, right, or he's just not willing to make any sort of changes. And now he's in the ring with someone that's so used to playing the heel against him, right? And Flair, who is always happy, just reverting to the heel thing, right? So like this whole match has just a bizarre dynamic, right? I was yeah. The next thing I have here is meanwhile Flair has at times been a babyface. But generally, he's always been considered at his best when he's a sneaky heel mm-hmm. uh, who does most like selling and begging off and then more selling. Yeah, that's his shtick. Like both these guys are working so much against the grain and without a lot of practice. I mean, this this Hogan has not had this is a second match since his heel turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just it's going to be off the whole time, I guess. As well. Yeah, it's like um, I feel like the first like couple of minutes. Yeah, they they're trying their best to play it the right way, and then they just kind of like fall back into their routine, right? And so the rest of it's it's like, it's like their ninety like bash ninety four match, except like he's changes clothes. Flair gets back to his feet, and the two circle each other and then lock up again. Back to the side headlock goes Flair, and Hogan picks him up like he's going to hit an atomic drop, but instead he walks to the corner and very gently sets Flair down on the top turnbuckle. He goes for a punch, but Flair blocks it and slaps him, and Hogan sells this like he's in complete agony, and then complains to Randy Anderson that it was a closed fist. They circle again and tease a test of strength before going to the tried-and-true lockup. This time, Hogan applies a hammerlock, then maneuvers behind Flair and works Rick down to the mat, where he keeps the hold applied for a second before standing up and laying in some kicks. Flair fights back with a series of chops and punches that eventually land Hogan on the mat. He rolls to the outside to regroup and threatens to punch some lady who is hilariously unintimidated by the Hulkster as she does dismissive little, like, scoot hand gestures, you know, like she's a little broom getting him away, yeah, and yells at Hogan to get back in the ring. Hogan turns back towards the ring just in time to see Flair spring down at him with a double sledge that catches Hulkster in the face. Flair stays in control with punches and chops before heading back to the ring and allowing Hulk to follow in at his leisure. Hogan takes the advantage with a test of strength until Flair starts biting his hand and laying in chops. An Irish whip sends Hulk into a corner, but there's some kind of miscommunication as Hulk awkwardly no-sells right out of the corner and then just keeps walking gently into Flair, who backs up into a different corner like he's been shoved hard, <laughs> but they just kind of softly walked into each other. Uh, yesterday, Either yesterday or the day before, I remember that I texted you that I was like, Clash of Champions was a pretty good show, I thought. Yeah. To be honest, I hadn't seen the main event yet. Ah. Because I since it's not my play by play, I I waited until like the end so I had something fresh in mind. Yeah. This match is a fucking mess to me. It really to me it kind of it drags down the whole show because it's just like you said, like from the beginning they just it's the weirdest thing where these two guys that are so used to like going a certain style against each other right. are suddenly just having no idea what to do really. 
Hogan approaches, but Flair kicks him. Hulk whips Flair to the opposite corner, where Flair goes up and over and out to the floor. Hulk joins him and presses the advantage with an eye rake before throwing Flair into the ring post. Hogan approaches Flair's valet with some threatening words before returning to Flair with a fully gloved back rake that we've come to know and love. <laughs> he thumbs the eye and tosses Flair back into the ring. Hogan sends Flair back into a corner where Flair again goes up and over, but this time he stays on the outside of the ropes on the apron. Nate ducks a Hogan clothesline and lands a right jab. Flair hits a vertical suplex, but Hulk starts to Hulk up. What? Yes. How on earth does this work as a heel? In fact, it gets a pop from the crowd, which is exactly why you don't do this. Right. Yeah, I did, I was uh, I was in disbelief when I. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember this match very well. Um, but I was just like, "What the fuck is going on yeah. here?" It 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 seemed like there was almost like this disaster where Hogan's just like, "I don't want to be heel anymore," you know. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Hulk plays all the hits, no-selling punches, and shaking his way to his feet where he points, blocks a punch, and hits punches of his own. Then it's time for a big boot. Hulk looks to seal the deal with the leg drop, but Flair rolls out of the way and Hogan's ass meets canvas. Flair locks on the figure four. Woman helps him get leverage for a bit, but Hogan manages to roll over. However, Flair manages to keep the momentum going and rolls over again. Randy Anderson checks on Hulk, who grabs the tiny ref and throws him into the corner where Pee-wee crumples. The Outsiders hit the ring, and they and Hogan stomp the crap out of Flair until the Horsemen, Luger, and Sting show up to drive them off. The heels bail, and Dave Penzer announces Flair the winner by disqualification, but a bell hasn't rung, and damned if Tony or Bobby are going to say anything about it. <laughs> this the, the now You just have to hear it in the background to know what actually happened. The announcers are far too busy hyping Nitro, where Flair and Arm will face Sting and Lex. Tony actually asks if there was a disqualification or if Flair is the new champion, and I have no idea how he thinks Flair might be the champion. Like, at what point did he beat Hulk in any way? What is he talking well, about? Well, Flair had Hogan in the in the figure four. Yeah. When the Outsiders came in, initially Tony said that he thought that Hogan submitted. Oh, okay. Um, but the ref. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That just was so far from the truth that I just kind of forgot about it. Yeah, but that's like the—I mean, the referee was nearby, but he wasn't like he was knocked out or whatever. Right. Yeah, the idea is that Hogan knocked out the ref before he would give up. Yeah. You know, uh, Sting and Flair have a bit of a chat, but it goes south, and the Stinger shoves Flair, who shoves back, and Hogan taunts from the top of the entrance aisle as Dave Penzer gets on the PA and repeats the result that he already shared earlier. Yeah, and fucks it up this time around. Oh, what did he say? I didn't notice. Well, because he said he was trying to he was trying to make sure you know that Flair won, but he wasn't the champion. Right. So he was like, um, he said, so he said the winner by disqualification and still world heavyweight champion. Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I totally missed that. <laughs> oh wait, sorry. <laughs> right. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, I got to get that interview with Penzer now. Cause <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, then he says, like, the winner by disqualification, but still world heavyweight. Yeah, he just, like, <laughs> I know what he was trying to do, but he yeah. just, it just, he just completely biffs it. Flair and the Horseman retreat with Sting and Lex only a couple feet behind them. Oh, and hey, Deborah McMichael's there. Hey, how about that? She just, I don't know, she all of a sudden was there at the end, and I hadn't noticed her at all previously. <laughs> did she, she did she run down for the run in as well? 
I guess so. <laughs> we go to Tony and Bobby to close out the show. They say really nothing memorable or of consequence, and <laughs> that's it. A week that saw five hours of live television Saturday, two hours on Monday, and two more hours here with the Clash of Champions has frankly limped to a close. Yes. As we have said before, the boys have the weekend off, and it feels sorely needed right yep. now as you watch this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that this Clash felt thrown together. It had way too many matches, uh, so the matches were pretty much all short. And, and most of the matches that had time to breathe weren't that great. Everyone was just kind of going through the motions. And unlike Bobby, uh, or, or in contrast to what Bobby said at the beginning of the show, nothing big happened. Not, there was nothing that was momentous history or anything like that. Right. You know, if you think back to the last Clash we had, we had the fun running storyline of uh, Colonel Robert Parker's wedding. We had the debut of Miss Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Conan and Psychosis debuted on that show. You know, it felt like there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, this was just Nitro number two for the week. Yeah, and I was going to say it's kind of like um, how there's like the, the getaway game of a, of a baseball series. Oh, yes, sure. It's like the, the, the morning third game that no one's really interested right. in. Yeah, this is what the, this felt like. It's like we have to get through this so we can finally like get a break, and then we'll come back for Monday. Trust us, we'll be a lot more excited on Monday. Yeah. Um. Except the the Malenko Mysterio or game, as always. Yeah. Maybe it's just something about like having a very tenuous position with the company where where you probably feel more motivated. But sure. You know, like yeah, Flair, Hogan, Sting, all those guys are going to be the they're going to be right where they are, right where they were on Monday. So yeah, it just. I agree. It really kind of like kind of limped out and and this really felt like a thrown together show. Yeah, it kind of wrecks like a, a, a pretty productive week. I thought it was. I wouldn't say it, r- it wrecks it quite, but it certainly doesn't close it on a strong note. It just sort of it's it just it was unnecessary is all. Sure. You could have easily not watched this and been just fine as a WCW fan. Mm hmm. Uh, in fact, you know, frankly, after seeing it, writing all my notes, I was like, if I'd watched this before deciding to record, I would have just said, no, there's no reason to review this show. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, there's only two more Clash of the Champions. We're almost done to that you mm-hmm. know, concept of the the almost paper, the near pay-per-view quality free TV thing. Um, so, you know, might as well kind of see them uh, yeah. close out this this concept that that served them so well over mm-hmm. the 90s. And we got a long ways until Thunder. Yeah, I don't have a decision on what we're going to do with Thunder, and I don't want to make it now. Because <laughs> uh, Thunder, I mean, like, I'm almost just curious to see how bad it can be, because I've heard it can be pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But, like, Nitro is going to get pretty bad, <laughs> so I don't know. And, I, and yeah, Nitro is going to get three hours, too. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be... We're going to see how we live through through those months. Yep. Anyway, this show uh, obviously didn't have a Raw to go up against, so we've got no Raw results. But we do have a rating. This show did a 3.5 with 2.2 million homes tuning in. The first hour did just a 2.5, but the second hour perked up averaging 4.2 with Flair and Hogan peaking at 4.7. That's not a bad number, but it is down a little bit from the 4.5 overall rating that the January Clash got, despite having Hogan and Flair in the main event. 
Uh, but I blame the lack of promotion for this. You know, yeah, it's that, not surprising it didn't get a good. Rating. I remember that other clash got a lot more hype, and well, the debut of Miss Elizabeth they talked about endlessly mm-hmm. in the weeks uh, leading up to that. And I can't remember was that clash? Wasn't it just like the next night or something like that? I oh, felt I like, don't. I felt like it was on a Tuesday. Like it, it might have been. I'm not sure because they were in the Las Vegas yes, place. They so, were in Vegas. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that one, that one was a, that one was set up to succeed a lot more than this was, right? And uh, yeah, just really not. <laughs> you're right. Bobby Heenan was really wrong when he said something big was going to happen. Nothing big happened. Well, that will bring us to a little segment that we call "Observe This." Ooh, observe this, brother. <laughs> what we call a rag sheet in the observer he runs a poll i don't you don't read the observer i don't think uh he always runs a poll after shows uh just kind of you know getting fan votes for thumbs up thumbs down um, oh, yeah he does that on twitter too oh sure yeah so the thumbs up it got six votes or 5.2 percent oh thumbs down 87 <laughs> so 75.7 percent and in the middle was 22 people Uh, So I think he gets a lot more people now that we're in the digital age. So this is, you know, (laughs) these are just the hardcore subscribers who are literally like writing Meltzer a letter saying thumbs down. (laughs) Uh, But of (laughs) the people that voted, there's, you know, a little over 100. This was not favorably received. (laughs) This is Dave's uh, a quote from Dave. Due to the rush nature of trying to cram eight matches into a two hour format, it came off more like Thursday Nitro, which is (laughs) Kind of funny since yeah. a, a, that will be a show eventually, basically. Right. Uh, then a major show with only one strong match. So I'm going to run through his ratings, and, and as always, we'll say if we feel they were fair or or off. Uh, Ray versus Malenko, 3.75. Sure. Fair. Wall Street Duggan, dud. Yep. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Conan Dragon, 1.25. Yeah, I'd give it a little better than that. Yeah, I'd say strong disagree. I'd say like 2.5. I'd go twice as high as, as Dave Whoa. on Whoa. Medusa Nakano, 0.5. Yeah, it was above dud. Uh, well, I, I'd give it like one, maybe one and a half. I, a, li- a little higher, I think. Guerrero versus DDP, a two? I would do a little, I would, I would maybe more around like a three. It's it's close enough for me, I guess. Giant versus Benoit, dud. I I disagree. I guess it depends on if you're rating it as a match or as an angle. Mm-hmm. Certainly as a match. I mean, why even rate it as a match? There was two moves. It accomplished exactly what it set out to do. I thought it was great. So I think if calling that a dud is a, a major uh, mis, misstep by old Dave. Yeah, I, I do think that Meltzer like 95% of his ratings based on just the ingring action. Well, and I know he's a huge Benoit fan. Oh, so he was probably like, Ugh. yeah, I think he was like mad that this is how they were treated. And I know that he was, cause he, re- he writes about it in his review. He, he's upset that they're misusing Benoit this way. <laughs> Poor big Dave. <laughs> uh, heat sting. So the, the triangle tag match 1.75. Uh, yeah. Yeah, fair. Mm-hmm. Close enough. And Flair versus Hogan gets a point five. Um 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I at first when I heard that, I thought that seems a little rough. But when I thought about it, I was like, honestly, that's that's maybe fair. Well, <laughs> well, I think you could you can not to be too cruel, but you can say that both men failed to do what they're supposed to do. Sure, which was play heel face the the correct way. Right. So yeah, I mean. The match just had, like, structural issues that it could not overcome, you know, as part of the problem. I, man, the more you say it, the more I would probably just put dud on sure. it. Sure. So, so maybe he was being generous. <laughs> well, that just leaves us with one last thing. Dave, what was your match of the night? Well, I think it's pretty obvious it's Malenko and Mysterio. Really, there's nothing that compares to that. <laughs> It is slim pickings. I'm going to agree with you on that one. Uh, definitely Ray versus Malenko. And uh, MVP, I literally wrote my notes, I don't fucking know, just because I'm tired of just saying Ray or Malenko. Mm-hmm. Um, so my MVP was, uh, I'm going to give my MVP to that second rope fireman's carry gut buster. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to give it to Malenko or Mysterio because both of them had a hand in creating that beautiful picture uh so i'm going to give it to the picture itself okay <laughs> um just that moment was my mvp of the show mm-hmm. give me that gif you sons of bitches <laughs> somebody find that gif <laughs> uh well i'm go- i am going to go with a co-mvp all right and i'm gonna go- give it to both the giant and chris benoit ah very for nice. for like it's more it was more of an angle than a match but I feel like for a twenty-five second like quick squash that it it if they advance the storylines I think is very effective. Sure. And um, I like Giant gets credit for a pretty awesome drop kick. Yes. And Benoit gets credit for being game for taking a thirty-second job. You know, if he sees like the bigger picture, as long as there is a bigger picture. So right. Um, as long as they go on with this, I I will give them both co MVP for executing a nice little like surprise kind of uh, gimmick. All right, well that leaves us. Uh, that kind of finishes the. I felt like we had a big build to Hog Wild, and then we had like uh, a real big sort of trilogy of episodes with Hog Wild, Nitro, and this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are kind of firmly moving out of that. I think um, you could call it like book one of the NWO, their sort of rise, their ascendancy. You know, it's all about the formation of the group uh, and then Hogan being the third man, Hogan getting the title Mm -hmm. and then firmly entrenching himself by defeating uh, WCW's, you know, greatest star of all time. Mm -hmm. So he is he is firmly uh, on his throne, if you will. And uh, now we will sort of move into uh, step two, the domination era of the NWO. You know, how will their how will their kingdom shake out? What will it look like? Who will the next members be? How that's going to play? And we are rapidly coming up to the one year anniversary of Nitro, and we'll have to see how that plays because that show will be, uh, you know, two weeks bef- two Nitros before we get to Fall Brawl. So we'll have the one. I imagine that they'll make a big deal out of that Nitro. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're building to fall brawl, so this is I'm exciting. We're kind of I feel like we're kind of heading into new territory. Hopefully, hopefully setting up some new storylines and yeah, and and seeing where things go. I feel like the fall brawl should be a really big show because of the war games, and they have like two distinct like sides right. that could fight in war games. So that could make for a really interesting matchup because I mean, you just even 
without hindsight or anything like that. Right. You know it's got to be some sort of NWO versus WCW. Oh, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see if um, if they how many men are going to be in it. If there'll be a fourth man, if they'll introduce a fourth man there. Yeah, you, if, you're right. Because if you're assuming it's the traditional four on four, that means we've got, if, if that is the case, that means we've got essentially like four nitros to find out who the fourth man is. Yeah. Or maybe, like you said, it happens on the pay-per-view itself. Right, yeah. So I think they they have a lot of potential there as far as like, there's a lot of things they could do to build up that war game. Yes, so, absolutely. Um, hopefully, they're after a couple days off, with the rest that they have, that they come back strong and start getting some stuff set up for Fall Brawl. We will begin that build when we join you next time right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. Ladies and gentlemen, All right, here's the referee it. disqualifying Hulk Hogan, the winner of the match, as a result of a disqualification, and still World Heavyweight Champion, excuse me, the winner of the match was a result of a disqualification, but not World Heavyweight Champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair.